Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. For those of you who are kind of new to our church, we're studying through the Bible book of John. We want you to understand how Jesus impacts your life. That's why we call this sermon series John or Jesus, IRL, in real life. And we're now at this part of the Bible book of John where Jesus is about to predict his suffering and his death. Now, for Christians that have been walking with Jesus for a while, I need you to pause for a second, and I need you to think through what you're going to hear today. If you're kind of new to Christianity, here's how this should sound to you. Wait a second. Didn't the Bible say that Jesus is God? That makes him the creator of the world. All of the things on heaven and in earth have been created by him, which means people have been created by him. And now he's saying today that he's going to suffer at the hands of humans that he created, and he's going to die? How is that possible? And I want us to take a half step back, and I want us to think about this question. How is it possible that God made into flesh could suffer and die at the hands of the very men that he created? And in order for us to think through this, I'm going to give you a warning statement right out of the gate. We're going to have to do some theology. What's called the theology of the atonement. The word atonement just means that Jesus became an atoning sacrifice. He paid the price by his sacrifice to atone for or to pay for sin. Now, there's a couple of theories out there about the death of Jesus. One of those theories that most of the world believed for over a thousand years was called the ransom theory of the atonement, sometimes referred to as the fish hook theory. And for a thousand years, many people believed that good and evil are equal. Perhaps this is where you are right now. They kind of believed that Jesus and Satan were equal. And in order for Satan and evil to be paid for and good to prevail, there had to be a ransom. It's called the fishhook theory of the atonement because people believed that Jesus was the bait that was on the hook so that Satan would take the bait and eventually the cross would be the reason why Jesus would win over Satan. There are many other theories but our church holds to what's sometimes called the forensic theory. Stay with me for a second. In proper theological terms, it's the penal substitutionary theory of the atonement. That word penal means penal system, prison sentence, death sentence. And what we believe as a church is that the wages of sin is death. If you have done wrong, Somebody has to die for that. The problem is that the Bible says that sacrifice that has to be paid for sin, it has to be a pure and a perfect sacrifice, and none of us meet those conditions. So the penal substitutionary theory of the atonement says that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, and his death on the cross, this is our story, is a substitute for me. I deserve to die on the cross. 
You deserve to die on the cross. But he became the substitute. For about a thousand years, people believed that our church fathers held that good and evil were roughly equal until a Swedish theologian about a hundred years ago wrote a book about this. And he said, you know what? Maybe we got this wrong. Maybe what our first fathers, those original followers of Jesus, believed was something very different than good and evil are equal and Satan and Jesus are on the same terms. Maybe what they believed was radically different. He wrote a book in Swedish. The title is like this long and it's Swedish. I couldn't pronounce it even if I wanted to. But a year later, it was translated into English. And Gustav Allen's book in 1931, the English translation is called The Christian Idea of Atonement. This book made a statement that this is what the original founding, uh, the fathers of the faith believed. And he wrote a phrase in that book that reverberated across the world. In fact, for a hundred years, people have latched on to this phrase. This Latin phrase has changed the way Christians viewed what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. You ready for the phrase? I'm, I'm not sure if you're ready. Are you ready for this Latin phrase? Thank you, that Gustav Allen pointed out. Two words in this dead language, and it's the only two Latin words that you will ever need to know. Here they are on the screens. Christus Victor. Those words translated into English, Christ is the victor. And what Gustav Allen said is, oh no, it wasn't uh, good and evil warring for one another. When Jesus hung on that cross, he destroyed forever the things that have power over humanity. That Christ was victor over sin when he hung on that cross. That Christ was victor over death, and you don't have to fear death anymore. When he hung on that cross, Christ forever changed the hook or the hold that hell has on people. Christ is the victor, is the only two Latin words you will ever need to know. And so before we even dig into the Bible today, I want you to hang on to this phrase for dear life. Because maybe you're in that marriage and you're hoping you had these expectations of your spouse. And then when you got into the marriage, it was nothing like you expected. And you're just about ready to throw in the towel. You don't know how you can hang on. I need you to understand that Christ is victorious in every circumstance that you're going through talking about that guy or gal that's watching right now who just started a brand new job and you had high hopes for this job but the boss is not at all what you thought it was going to be and the work environment is much worse and I need you to know that Christ is victorious no matter what life throws at you. When you're facing problems at home or with your health, whatever it is, I need you to say it out loud, church, Christ is victorious. But say it like you mean it. Christ is victorious. Christus victor is the only two Latin words you will ever need to know because these are the words that describe your relationship with God because of what happened on a cross 2,000 years ago. Now we're ready to read what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 16 because they're confused and they're scared. 
And what they need to hear, what you need to be reminded, is that Christ the victor gives you triumph over your toils. You see, we're on this side of the empty tomb. But the disciples, when they heard these words from Jesus for the first time, they were scared and it shook them to their core. And after the resurrection, after the empty tomb, that's when it all started to make sense that he really was victorious, even while he was hanging on that cross. So here's what Jesus says. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 16. We're going to start reading in verse 16. And I want you to think about this like you're hearing these words from Jesus for the first time. So here's what the Bible says. Jesus speaking to his followers. In a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. And then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, they said, uh, they said he is saying, in a little while, we don't know what he's talking about. Pause for just a second. If you were in the place of these first followers, you have just left your family. You've just left your business. You've left everything that means anything to you because you believed that this guy really was the rightful ruler of Israel. You believed that he was going to take over the throne. And now he's telling you he's leaving. And in back-to-school terminology here in the United States, I want to do a pop quiz with you for just a second. You're hearing these words for the first time. Are you thinking to yourself, A, I'm angry because I just left everything to follow you, and now you're telling me you're going away? B, are you scared because my whole future was riding on Jesus? And now he's telling me he's leaving. C, are you confused? Or how many of you are like me? D, all of the above. Like, I'm all of these right now, Jesus. I don't get it. Because I thought you were supposed to take over the throne. And Jesus knows they're scared. Jesus knows they're confused. In fact, probably what they're doing is elbowing each other right now. Like, somebody needs to ask that brother what he's talking about. Because this is not good, what I'm hearing. So Jesus asked them. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Are you asking one another about what I said in a little while? You will not see me again in a little while. You will see me. Truly I tell you. Listen to these words. You will weep and mourn. The world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she is given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and listen to this last sentence on the screens, church. And no one will take away your joy from you. That is why you can have triumph in the middle of toils if you are a follower of Jesus. He uses two little while statements. In a little while, you're not going to see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. And for us on this side of the empty tomb, this is unashamedly language about the cross 
and about the tomb, about Good Friday and about Easter Sunday. They didn't get it. So Jesus has to make it a little bit more explicit in the pronouns that he uses. You will look for me and you won't find me, but then I will see you again. And he's preparing them for the suffering that's about to happen to him, but he's also preparing them for the suffering that they're about to go through. And he wants them to be ready. And if you were to just listen to the language that he used for just a second, he used language like weep and mourn and sorrow and suffering. Where do we use that kind of language? That's funeral. Thank you. That's funeral language. And Jesus is preparing them for his death by telling them, you're going to suffer. You're going to weep. You're going to mourn. It's going to get really, really hard for you. But I need you to know that's not the end of the story because there is a day coming where you will see me again. And this is the reason why I need you to hold on. I need you to hang in there no matter how bad life gets for you. You see, what Jesus is really trying to do is to prepare his people for what's coming. And he's making them a promise. Life hurts. And it's sometimes going to hit you in the face and kick you while you're down. But that doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. And it's not the end of the story. It means that when work is overwhelming and when you're hanging on by your fingernails with your marriage or with your job or with your finances, when inflation is at infinity and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills, that's not the end of the story. And Jesus is preparing him, his people and reminding them, even when you see me on that cross, I am victorious. And the most horrifying moment in human history, the moment where God suffered on behalf of sinful people and the only perfect man gave his life up, what appears to be the greatest human tragedy of all times is actually the triumph of God over sin, death, and the grave. So Christian, you got nothing to worry about. Thank you. And I need you to know Something may be coming around the corner that's going to hit you hard, but Christ is victorious. And when you feel like you can't go on any longer, I need you to remember that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And all you've got to do is hang on to him, and he is ultimately victorious. You see, Christ the victor gives triumph over toils. And Christus victor, Christ the victor, gives you power in prayer. This is the moment that his disciples changed the way that they prayed. In fact, this moment probably changed their relationship with God forever. Because we Christians are kind of weird this way. When all of the other faiths in the world, they approach their deity with a reverence and a distance. We approach God in prayer with an intimacy. In fact, we call him by his first name when we tack these three words on at the end, in Jesus' name. You ever wonder where those three words come from? They come from right here. John chapter 16, verse 25. In that day, when it gets hard, but I'm, I'm victorious in that day, you will not ask me anything. 
Truly, I tell you, anything you ask the Father, you don't have to ask me, you just go straight to the Father. Anything that you ask the Father, here it is, these three words, in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask. He's challenging them. He's putting a a test in front of them. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be complete. I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming, and I will no longer speak to you in figures. But I'll tell you plainly about the Father. And on that day, you will ask in my name. And I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself, here it is, the intimacy with God. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And believe that I came from God. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world, and I am going to the Father. And God's people's prayers changed at this moment in human history. Did you ever stop and think about what exactly this phrase that we Christians tack on at the end of our prayer before we say amen, what exactly do these three words mean in Jesus' name? For you, does that mean, God, I just found the genie lamp and I just rubbed the genie lamp exactly like you told me to rub it, and I just added those three words in there in Jesus' name, and now, God, you owe me three wishes, and so I want my first wish. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Thank you. No, that's not at all what he's saying. So what does he mean by this language? Because he's making a bold promise right now. If you ask like this, my Father is going to give it to you. What do you mean, ask like this? in my name. What exactly does that mean, Jesus? And the answer is pleading the blood of Jesus over your prayers. It's the moment where you're simply saying, God, I know you love me, and God, I know you know me, and God, the proof that you love me is the cross. And so here I am, and I am in desperate need, God. I need you to show up, and I need you to answer this prayer. And Jesus' promise is, you pray like that, And you don't have to go to me. You just go straight to the Father. He hears that kind of prayer. And if you're wondering, does he know what you're going through? If you're wondering, does he care what's happening to you? I need you to remember that my Father loves you. And the reason he loves you is because of my relationship with you and your relationship with me. So I need you to plead my blood over your prayers. And Jesus is basically saying, I need you to ask boldly when you go to the Father. You know what the book of Hebrews says about this? It says when Christians pray, we don't pray these simple, mild, uh, soft prayers. No, we, Hebrews language, boldly come before the throne of grace. And we plead the blood of Jesus over our prayers. And we know beyond a shadow of doubt, he hears those prayers that Christ the victor hears those prayers. We plead like a child with his hand out, absolutely convinced that my daddy knows me, my daddy loves me, and my daddy's gonna take care of me. There's a father whose wife went away on a business trip and the kids were at home alone and they were getting stir crazy. So he decided, let's go to the county fair. 
And the children were young, so he knows they're not interested in the prize pumpkin. They don't care about the biggest pig in the county. They want to ride the rides. So when dad showed up, he got a whole roll of tickets. You know, the kind with a rubber band around them. And you, he just decided, we're going to ride rides all night long tonight, y'all. It is going to be awesome. And he goes to the rides, and the children put their hand out, and he puts a ticket in their hand, and they ride the rides and have a great time until this strange boy shows up. And the strange boy walks up to the dad. And the strange boy puts his hand out. And the dad says, who are you? I don't know you. These tickets are for my children. And that's when his son walked up and he said, Dad, this is my buddy Stephen. And I told Stephen who you are. And I told Stephen that if he comes tonight that you'll take care of Stephen. So, Dad, can Stephen have a ticket along with me? And for the rest of the night, when Stephen put his hands up, Dad treated Stephen like a son because of his boy. And what Jesus is saying is when you come to me, you come to my father and you remember that he loves you like he loves me. And when you put your hand out and say, God, I'm in need. And I'm not talking these weak, passive prayers, but God, I'm pleading the blood of Jesus over this problem right now. You remember that he treats you just like he does his son, that he loves you no matter what is happening. And go to bed tonight, pray in bold prayers, Christians. Because Christ is victorious. You see, Christ the victor gives you courage in the midst of the worst circumstances of life. For 2,000 years, Christians have hung on to what we read next. They believed it so much. Look up here. They were willing to be crucified upside down because of these words. They were willing to be fed to the lions. They were willing to be lit on fire as human candles because they believed in these words. And of course there was fear and of course there was anxiety, but they had the courage to hang on and the courage to conquer in the midst of some of life's worst suffering. Some of the worst suffering humanity has ever seen. Christians have held on to these words. John chapter 16, here's how the chapter ends. His disciples said to Jesus, look, now you're speaking plainly, and now you're not using any figurative language. Now we know that everything, or now we, now we know that you know everything, and you don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. And Jesus is going to grade this test question and basically give them a solid C+. Plus. Oh, really? Do you really trust? Do you really believe? By the way, before I read any further, do you know the people that get the A to this question right here? Jesus said, it's not the ones that saw me. It's not the ones that heard my voice with their own ears. It's you, believer, who've never seen me, never heard me, but are hanging on and conquering in the midst of challenges you're the ones that get the solid A. By this, we believe that you've come from God. And Jesus responded to them, do you now? I like to leave the word believe off for just a second. Do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home. And you will leave me alone, yet I'm not alone. Listen to this, Christian. 
because the Father is with me. I want to pause and say, when they were driving that crown of thorns on my head, the Father is with me. When they were lashing the whip across my back, the Father is with me. When they were driving nails into my hands, the Father is with me, and he gives me the strength and the courage to conquer. That I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. And here's the promise that for 2,000 years, Christians have been hanging on to. You will have suffering in this world. I promise you it's going to happen. But be courageous. Because Christus Victor, because I have conquered the world. When the disciples heard these statements, he was telling them, it's going to get tough, and they're going to take me away, and you're going to run scared for your life. And you're going to watch the promised Son of God, the King of Kings, hanging on a cross, and it's going to shatter all of your hopes and dreams, and you are going to suffer. But I need you to remember, hold on, because that's not the end of the story. I need you to remember that even when I'm hanging on that cross, I am victorious. I have conquered evil and sin and the grave and death. And I really think what Jesus is saying is when the pressure gets tough and you're struggling to hang on, remember that he's victorious. I think what he's saying is when it gets really painful and, and you don't know how you're going to make it through tomorrow, hang on and remember that he is the victor. When there's persecution and you're facing suffering just because you follow Jesus, hang on to him because anxiety and uh, courage can't exist at the same time. And if you will hang on to him, his spirit gives you the courage to fight the circumstances and because he's victorious, you will be victorious too. Just this week, there was a guy who was swimming off the coast of Greece. This Greek guy got too far off the coast. And he wasn't able to swim back to coast anymore. His name is Ivan, and he started to get swept out to sea, and it looked like Ivan wasn't going to be able to make it to the coast. Ivan spent 18 hours, listen to this, this week, spent, Ivan spent 18 hours floating at sea off the coast of an island in Greece. This is Ivan who was picked up the next day by the Greek Coast Guard and taken to a hospital and survived. Ivan got to the point where his arms were burning and his legs were exhausted and his head was going underwater. He had nothing left to give anymore. And I'm convinced that for a few of you in this room, that's where you are right now. You're saying, Jeff, how am I supposed to hang on? Because the waves are crashing in and the wind is blowing and the rains are pounding down and I don't have anything left. How am I supposed to hang on when I've got nothing left? Ivan was about to go under, no exaggeration, when he saw this little soccer ball bouncing next to him. A soccer ball that two little boys kicked off of the coast 
of an island 80 miles away. And I've been reached out and grabbed a hold of this soccer ball and held on to this soccer ball for 18 hours until a helicopter flew over his head and reached down and snatched him out of that water. And I'm telling you, if it feels like your arms are burning and your legs are exhausted and you're starting to go under and I don't know how I'm going to make it through tomorrow, all I'm asking you to do, church, is hang on. Just grab a hold and hang on to Christ the victor who, while he was on that cross and nobody else in the world can see it, was destroying forever those things that have the grip over all of humanity, sin, which affects us all, and death, which is the end for all humanity, and even the hell, which we all deserve because of our sin. Christ the victor was defeating it all while he was hanging on that cross. And for some of you who may be tuned in for the first time, you're saying, man, I want that. Man, I'm glad to know that this is true. Well, the story that I've just told, this, this passage from the Bible only applies to Christians. And I'm not just talking about people that believe that there was a Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago who really did die on a cross and who really did rise again. I'm talking about the men or women who have sacrificed and staked everything on him. And for them, they have the promise of victory. In this world, you will have suffering, but be courageous because I have overcome this world. And maybe what somebody tuned in today needs to do is go through this life-transforming moment where you surrender everything to King Jesus, where you say from this moment forward, I'm giving up my sin, I'm giving up my future, I'm giving up my plans. I'm putting it all in your hands. And from this moment forward, Jesus, you call the shots in my life. And if you make that radical commitment to Jesus, he meets you and he changes you right there in your living room, right here in this room. In just a second, I'm going to pray that Jesus will make somebody new for the first time. But for everybody else in this room who has met Jesus and he has radically changed you, Life is going to hurt. And when life gets vicious, I want you to remind yourself this week that Jesus is victorious. Would you get up tomorrow morning and say, I don't know what troubles, I don't know what toils are waiting for me today, but I do know this. Christ is victorious, and I'm going to face it with courage because he lives inside of me. Would you bow your we hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.